All right, well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Let me take a moment to pray with you, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, we love you. Uh, it is a tremendous opportunity to be gathered uh, in your presence, with your people, um, and in your name. And Lord, we know that there's no limit, no limit to how you can and will move among us when we gather in your name and seek your face together. And so with great faith and anticipation, we say, Holy Spirit, come, speak to us, lead us, God, um, move in our hearts so that in such a way that we just, we don't miss whatever it is that you have for us here as we're gathered together. Lord, you are beautiful, you are good, and we are so glad to be yours. Would you let your kingdom come and your will be done in this room, even as it is in heaven? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, it's really, really good to be with you. Uh, My name is Aaron. If we haven't met, I hope you'll come and say hello to me after the service. I'll be hanging out up front here, eager to say hello. We have been working our way through the gospel of John chapter and verse, and uh, we're again this week in John chapter 17, and again on the subject of unity, and again on the verses 20 uh, to 23, we're really going to build on what we uh, said last week. And so if you weren't here last week, let me just quickly uh, make it clear. Uh, When I say unity, and I speak of unity within the life of the church, I absolutely do not mean uniformity. Uniformity is what happens when we divide again and again over our every difference, and the result is lots of pockets of people who look the same, act the same, think the same, talk the same, smell the same possibly, just in every way they're the same. And that's not unity, that's uniformity, and that's not encouraging, that's creepy, as we said. Let's just be honest about the fact that that gets a little weird because it's born of division. And frankly, the watching world knows that it's born of division. And I have a bit of uh, I have a bit of optimism. I, last week I confessed how much I've been tripped up by my own optimism, but here's more of it: lesson not learned. Um, I have quite a bit of optimism that the church has the capacity to move toward unity, um, particularly now for a couple of reasons. One, I just think we're so sick and tired. There's a there is a a corporate exhaustion over the division that has plagued our society. I think there's an openness to, hey, perhaps we could walk together in a way that we haven't before and find life in that. Another reason why I think that may be the case is because I, I see I see within lots of little pockets um, that we have actually an incredible tolerance for the differences of others and that we actually have the capacity to love and serve people um, and care for people and welcome as family, even if we aren't uniformed and even if we don't look exactly the same and act exactly the same and even think and believe in the exact same ways. Um, One of my examples for why I think um, we have the capacity um, to tolerate a tremendous amount of difference is the fact that we have pets, that we have pets that live in our homes that, that we treat as family, I think we can tolerate difference when there's another species living in our home. So we've, we've got this dog, Tyson, uh, here just a few months ago. It's the first time we've done the family dog thing. If you don't know about Tyson, then you should come to church more often. You really should. Like, no judgment. I, I love you, but it's great. We're here every week, and I talk about Tyson way too much. It's just so weird to be sitting at my dining room table reading a book or whatever the case may be, and then there's just this dog like this other species, this different life form that lives in our house by choice, and he just walks by, and I'm like, it feels so surreal. And not only that, this dog, like five times a day, 
does something so disgusting that it would be inappropriate for me to just repeat it in the microphone. Like it would just not be, like just yesterday I was taking a walk with Sharon and the dog and my, and, and my daughter was there as well. And we were talking about something disgusting she, that, that Tyson does. And Sharon looks at me and says, you know that you can't ever tell the church about that. Like that's too gross to say into a microphone. I'm like, yeah, no argument. It's so disgusting. And yet this animal crawls all over us licks our faces, guys. He licks our faces. Actually, I should say he licks their faces. I have a no face licking rule because I have in my mind this growing list of things I have seen him lick. And I do not want my face to be on that list. But the thing is, he figures it out. The little monster just a few days ago, he's, I'm zonked out on a recliner and he sneaks up to me and puts his tongue so far in my mouth. I can still, I can still feel it right now. I can feel it. And yet we love this little monster animal thing that lives in our home and we love him like family and we'll sacrifice for him and do anything for him. And Sharon wants to buy him everything. And it's, here we are just deep adoration for this very different thing. But if we could be honest, I think the fact is um, smaller differences are actually harder than the big ones. Because when you have small differences with people, you probably have a baseline of expectation um, that you would see and view and experience the world in very similar ways. So for example, you might say we're all here in church together and say, well, we probably have a whole lot in common. Not only are we the same species, uh, but we live in the same town and and we're here in the name of Christ, and presumably many, if not virtually all of us are Christians. And so um, for us to say that we have Jesus in common, well, if all you have in common is Jesus, if all you have in common is the absolute center of your everything, that's kind of a lot. That's kind of a lot to have in common if that's the only thing you have in common. And only that, it's like, well, we're at the same church, and there's lots of churches in this town, and so we probably evaluate things in similar ways. We might think in really similar ways, and you might draw a whole bunch of conclusions about just how similar the people around you are, and that's the very thing that can set you up for disappointment. All frustration is born out of unmet expectation, and if you expect that all the people around you We'll see the world the way you do. We'll come to the same conclusion on debatable matters as you do, has the same theology or the same politics or the same worldview as you do. You will be frustrated by that. You should not make that assumption. We all know what we do and we assume, right? Whenever I say that, I always wonder if there's just one person being like, no, I don't know. No one has ever told me. So if that's you... Um, call Natasha and she will be super happy to explain that to you exactly what that means. But here's the thing. If we, if we anticipate differences within this family, we see those differences and then remain unified in the midst of those differences. Guys, Jesus pretty much lays it out. We'll read it again this week as we did last week pretty much lays it out that it's the key to the world around us knowing the love of God. Like it's that big of a deal. Let's read those verses now, 20 to 23, John chapter 17. This is Jesus's high priestly prayer. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So that would include us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. 
I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. Are you guys picturing this whole Russian nesting dolls situation where he is in us and we are in him and they are in us and it's incredible. What verse was I on? (laughs) 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. The world will know the love of the Father to the extent that the church is unified. The perpetuation of the gospel, according to Jesus, hinges upon the unity of the church. And I'm not like reading between the lines here. I don't think I'm interpreting that. I don't think that's a stretch at all. It's just what Jesus said. Um, I always talk about church kids. I was, an, I was like a super church kid. I was absolutely a church kid. And we, we heard this phrase an awful lot growing up. And I don't know if it's localized or maybe in the sort of the pocket of the church that I was in. I'm not sure. But we would hear a lot about the dangers. Like if you misbehaved in some way, then you would hurt your witness. Does that ring a bell? Okay, so that's pretty, I heard heard the the low murmur that says, yeah, you're with me. Um, Yeah, you got to be careful, you're going to hurt your witness. And if that sounds unfamiliar to you, it basically says, if you're a Christian, you really shouldn't be a jerk, because if you're a jerk, and then you say, you should love Jesus the way that I do, then people are not going to be interested. They're going to say, I'm not picking up what you're putting down, because you're kind of terrible, okay? And so, that makes perfect sense. That's absolutely accurate. Um, And I heard lots and lots of ways in which I could hurt my witness, but what never came up, and I think is maybe the most important thing of them all, what will absolutely end our witness, what will ruin and destroy our witness, and not just our witness, but the witness of a whole community of believers, is division within that community of believers. So Paul, I love this chapter. I've taught from it several times in Romans uh, Romans 14 and 13 as well. Paul um, lays out this idea that we're actually forbidden to argue over disputable matters. And so what Paul says is, I get it, you're on the same town, you're in the same church, you love the same Jesus, you're on the same page, and yet there's going to be this whole subset of things that you will not agree about. And he says, I actually forbid you to argue about those matters. The example that he gave um, was people arguing over whether or not it was okay to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, which doesn't really slide into our context very readily. But he actually addresses it and he goes, actually, you know, this group's right. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's okay if you eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, whatever. That's basically his answer. Whatever, it's fine. But these people are going to disagree with you and I refuse, I forbid you to stop loving and serving and caring for the people who disagree with you on this matter. In fact, he says, just don't do it if it's going to offend somebody. He goes, you know what? Just don't eat meat, period, forever if it's going to offend your brother or sister in Christ. He's saying our unity is actually really, really important. And you should sacrifice to that end. Even if they're wrong, who cares? How many hills are we willing to, are we willing to die upon? And don't misunderstand me for a second that I'm saying we should compromise. We should never compromise a word of this text. We should hold on to the truth of Scripture no matter what. But we're told explicitly, there's certain hills you don't die on. And you think about this. The best way that we, as a church, can serve the world outside of this church is for us to love one another well within this church. In fact, let me, let me put it, say it again. Um, 
for the sake of people outside of the church, we have to care for one another within the church, and we have to do that first and foremost. Now, that might sound a little bit off, that it would actually be our highest priority that we would care for one another and that we would care for one another for the sake of people who are outside of the community of faith. Now, that should sound weird. It should sound off. And you should also know that I'm doing that on purpose. Um, Preachers do that, by the way, all the time. It's a preacher trick. We say things that sound off, that sound wrong, in order to make you lean in. And we're so desperate for you to pay attention. That we say things that sound wrong to make you lean in and pay attention. The reason why that works, and this will just, speak, this will just throw back to our whole unity discussion. The reason why that works is because we thrive on controversy. And if I just caught a whiff of a potential controversy or disagreement, I'm going to actually lean in and hear what the preacher says. All right, that's just, that's just a little preacher note on the side for free. But we do that, and I have done that. I am saying that we should care for people out within the church, first and foremost for the sake of those outside of the church. And now I'm going to resolve the tension. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, kind of a big deal. He said this, we should do good to everyone. As an amen moment, you missed it. We should do good to everyone. But then he says this, he says this, especially to those in the family of faith. We should do good to everyone. And in the Greek, that means everyone. So that's everyone, okay? But he says, especially those within the family of faith. Why especially? Why would that be the priority? If we're trying to love and care for those outside, why would it be of utmost importance that we love and care for those within? First and foremost, let me read you a couple more verses. This is John chapter 13, verse 35. This is early that same night, same dinner party that we've been studying for months now, I know. Same dinner party. Verse 35, Jesus says this to his disciples, his apprentices. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. As you love one another, it will validate your authenticity as a Christ follower. You you will be confirmed and authenticated as a genuine believer. How? By the way you love one another. And I think it's very interesting that Jesus says this to his disciples right before he prophesies Peter's soon coming denial. Hey guys, it matters so much. People are going to decide whether or not you're a hypocrite, full stop, based on how you love one another. Oh, by the way, your fearless leader is about to screw up royally. I mean, he's really going to make a mistake. It's going to be public. It's going to be devastating. And by the way, everybody's going to be watching to see whether or not you love and restore and walk with and lead him into healing or whether or not you cancel him. Side note, Jesus will never cancel anybody. End rant. (laughs) The world's going to be watching whether or not you will correct and heal and restore or whether or not you will discard your brother when he fails. Um, Francis Schaeffer is a really prolific writer. um, And I think the best thing he wrote is this little article called The Mark of the Christian. And if you go to vineyardchurch.info and click on the sermon notes, you can actually click on a link to read this. It just takes a few minutes. I would love for you to read it. It's fantastic. 
And in that, he points to this verse that we're looking at, verse 35, where Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And he basically says that God has given the watching world a litmus test whereby they can test whether or not we're legitimate, whether or not we are hypocrites. And the only thing they have to look and see one way or the, one way or the other is whether or not we love and care for one another. We've also seen already verse 21 from our text. I pray that they will all be one so that the world will believe you sent me. In other words, it validates the sentness, the messiahship of Jesus himself. And in verse 23, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you love them as much as you love me. It will validate the love of God when we love and care for one another. And so in Galatians 6 verse 10, the apostle Paul says, especially you should care for one another within the family of God. Why especially? Here's why. We just saw three reasons. Because it confirms that we're real Christians and not hypocrites. It validates Jesus as the Son of God, and it demonstrates that God loves the world. That's why, especially. Now, let's talk about a subject that most people hate. Let's talk about evangelism. See, a lot of people start... Um, a lot of people are kind of allergic to that word because we have connected with that probably a sense of guilt, probably I don't do that enough. But the big thing is, it's like code for here's the most awkward things we'll ask you to do ever. And so people are real unhappy with the term. I want you to think about this for a minute, though. There's no guilt trip coming, don't worry. But I want you to think. Especially if you're a church kid, you've been around this business for a while, then if I asked you to make a list of things that, that evangelism is, you know, what does evangelism entail? You could probably make a pretty good list. And I would probably agree with everything on the list, you know, I'll give you a minute or two and you could jot them down and I'd say, yeah, it is all those things. It's, it's, it's teaching, it's knowing what you believe and why you believe it and being able to stand on a, a foundation because um, you've done the work connected to that. It's reasoning with others. It's initiating conversations with people. It's inviting others to things and welcoming them to things. And it's, it's all those things for sure. I'm not going to take anything off the list. But let's add one to it. And I think it's the most important one that's often overlooked. Most important, if we want the world to be drawn to Jesus, is that we love one another well in spite of our differences. That's actually the most important part. And that's actually what Jesus is saying. So you want to talk about evangelism? Take care of each other. Take care of each other. Make it demonstrable. Tell the story and, and, and you'll be flooded. Let's imagine this. Let's imagine that every person in Blount County believed and received this message. They looked to the church, all the churches around, and they thought to themselves, okay, if I'm with them, then I know that I will be loved and cared for no matter what. If the people in Blount County came to that conclusion today, every single church in this town would be absolutely flooded tomorrow. And I know tomorrow's Monday and most churches are closed. They would tear the doors down. Every church would be absolutely flooded and if you went and took a class on evangelism, you sit down, you're all eager, you got your notes, and you're ready to get after it, and the instructor gets up, and 
he or she starts talking about all the one another's we find in the Bible. If you've ever heard done that Bible study, but there's a to Google search away. There's a long list of how we're supposed to one another, one another. Have you read those? Just to love one another and serve one another and sacrifice for one another, care for one another, rejoice with one another, mourn with one another. It's an incredible list of just how we take care of each other within this community. And you went to this class and the teacher just kept talking about how we can take care of each other and all the ways we can love and serve one another. You might think this is the most backwards. Did I go to the wrong class? Maybe you went to the wrong class. Maybe it's not... But you might go, this is the worst evangelism course I've ever heard. It's all about in what we do inside. Evangelism is supposed to be about going outside. This is all about what we do inside. Here's the thing. Maybe, or maybe you just stepped into the best course on evangelism, period. Because Jesus said, if you want to validate who we are, who Christ is, and the love of God, it's through our unity and care for one another. Let me tell you a story. You may, I think we, I think I might've told this story about a year ago. I don't quite recall. Um, so perhaps it's a repeat, but it's a good one. Um, uh, it's about Anna Kitko. Anna Kitko uh, is with Ratio Christi. And she's a part of our church. We do these Ratio Christi community nights, which is basically an apologetics discussion that helps us defend and understand our faith and understand the intellectual credibility of, of scripture and our March 28th. It's really phenomenal. And the next one, by the way, is coming up in two weeks, right? Two weeks on the Sunday night, May tw- March 28th. Um, so she's a part of this group and runs this group, uh, Ratio Christi, and they, they focus on college campuses. And so they have a, a significant president pres- presence there on UT campus. And they were engaging with this, uh, group of atheists and engaging with the leader, uh, of this campus group. And, uh, it was going quite well. And he was very encouraged actually uh, he was open to the gospel and was very encouraged to hear that there's actually intellectual credibility for what we believe. And he realized, oh, there's like, this is reasonable and this is rational and I understand something that I didn't understand before. And he came to know Jesus as his savior and is walking with Jesus today. And I talked to him at one of our community nights and he explained to me how that happened. He said, I was encouraged to hear that all these Christians everywhere actually have an intellectual foundation for what they say and believe. That was encouraging, but I'll tell you why I came to Jesus. It's because I saw the way the people in Ratio Christi loved and cared for one another. And when I saw that, I found Jesus irresistible. That's how people, look, yes, you need to be able to defend your faith. Yes, it's really important that you know apologetics, but I'm just pointing out the story of the people who are like professional apologists. They're like the best at it. And in the end, he saw the way they loved one another and found Jesus irresistible. If the whole world knew that they could come to God and be loved, the whole world would. They would. And according to Jesus, the way we teach that is not to shout it, but to show it. Show up by how we love one another. The key to evangelism is you and I taking care of each other, staying unified in spite of our differences, and then telling the stories. Just telling the stories. I want to pick up on something. I didn't know Amy was going to talk about core groups, but I want to talk about core groups for a minute. And I'm almost done. David, you can come on up as we begin the transition here to the end of the message. Um, core groups are these groups of, you know, three, four, five people, same gender. 
And you say, what's it really about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about spiritual friendship. It's about saying, for these people, I will, I will guarantee they will never walk alone, period. They will never walk alone. And I will never walk alone because I'm with them. Because it could seem overwhelming. You say, there's a lot of people in this church and there's another service coming up. Most people aren't even coming these days with COVID and all this stuff. I, I don't even know how to keep track. I'm supposed to just take care of everybody. No. But within core groups, you have this wonderful way that we can say, these are, the, these are my people that I'm going to care for. These are the people who are going to care for me. And over the course of this pandemic, which has just drug on and on and on, the most encouraging stories I've heard over and over and over again have been out of core groups. People who have said, I, I got COVID and I thought I was literally in isolation for weeks and I thought I would never be more lonely and yet I was never alone because I had these spiritual friends who were walking with me through it all. Or I was pregnant for the first time in the middle of a pandemic and I was terrified and I read what to do when you're expecting and I still didn't know what to expect when I was expecting and I thought I was going to be all alone and yet I've never been more supported or more surrounded or more cared for. Or I lost someone I love to illness or we couldn't even have a funeral. I thought if ever I'm going to be alone, it's now and I was never alone. I heard a wonderful story recently about a, a core group that meets in our church, a group of women. and Somehow the conversation, they were doing it over Zoom, it's, they made its way into politics and it got a little awkward because it was politics. And then, then Zoom started going in and out. I'm calling it a spiritual attack, but who knows? And it got a little awkward. And then that was kind of the end of the group and it was sort of left hanging. And the leader said, got them back together and said, let's just pray for a couple of weeks. And next time, you know, let's meet in person. There's only a handful of us. We'll, we'll follow all the rules and be safe. But let's, let's pray for a little bit and meet in person. Just talk these things through because there's no way I'm going to let something like this divide us. And they met together and they did not agree. And yet they were in absolute unity and they're closer than they've ever been because that meeting went beautifully. Guys, if people knew a lot of stories about people who didn't agree about politics but still managed to love and care for one another every single day, you know how attractive that is to a world that is just sick of it? It's just sick of it. You know how beautiful that is? You know how encouraged I was to hear that story? And in these groups, you've got people who just, they'll never leave you. They're going to walk it out. It's about spiritual friendship. Amy mentioned this. Um, it, it really is simple, though. You grab two or three or four of your friends and say, let's do this together. And you email Natasha, natasha at vineyardchurch.us. You got to know her name and our website, natasha at vineyardchurch.us. And she'll help you get set up. And you might say, I'm not sure that I have two or three or four friends. I'm kind of new or I'm, I'm sort of quiet. I've kept to myself. I went, we also have, starting back up now, our community groups. And community groups are all about ways for us to get connected with one another. It's about meeting a few folks. And so you can go to our community groups and meet a few folks and Natasha will help you. You just email Natasha, ask her what happens when you assume, and then ask her how you can be in a core group. And she'll connect you or help you get connected with people who will walk with you. 
So how can you be a great evangelist? Love and care for one another and talk about it. What Amy was doing just a few minutes ago when she tried tried through tears to talk about her core group, (laughs) she's evangelizing. There's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus, they heard that story and thought, I want that. I want what she has. All right. Um, We're going to have something uh, called Selah. We do this every single week. A couple of minutes to pray and reflect. Time to um, make this as personal as we possibly can. So I'm going to get us started in that prayer and then we'll have some stillness together and then after that we'll make our way to the table of grace. So Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for the capacity that you've given us to care for one another. They give you the simple truth that if the body of Christ functions anywhere close to the way you've set it up, we'll just never ever be alone. But if there's anyone in this room who doesn't place a tremendously high value on spiritual friendship, then I ask, Lord, that you would challenge and correct that right now. Lord, if we become allergic to the idea of evangelism and thought, you know, I'm I'm not going to go talk to some stranger. I'm not going to go ask somebody if they'd know where they'd go if they died today. Would you encourage them right now to realize you can't just tell the stories about how people have cared for you. And according to you, Jesus, they'll find it really, really compelling. So Lord, I ask that you would make us a church that would walk in real unity, a church of storytellers. I wouldn't keep that unity a secret. Let's take a moment now to reflect on our own. Lord, I want to ask as well that you would speak to us specifically about whether or not we have these types of true spiritual friendships. And um, or just simply, God, that you would, um, if we do have them, that we would respond appropriately with joy and celebration and gratitude and storytelling. And if not, Lord, I just pray that you would let a sense of holy discontent arise in us and real determination that we would go and seek these things out.